Welcome to Bible and Stuff, a podcast about the Bible. And stuff. I am Glenn. And I'm Tanner. And guys, we get a really cool topic that we are talking about today. Oh, do we? We do indeed. <laughs> so I don't know how you have felt about this when you were growing up or reading through the Bible for the first time, but I remember being really confused about this topic that we're talking about. Does God change his mind? Mm. Um, I, I, yeah. Yeah. I've probably changed my mind on it a few times. (laughs) I think, I don't think I ever, so I kind of take it back. Growing up, I don't think I really noticed it a lot. Yeah. But after getting married and starting to read through the Bible with my wife, I really started to contemplate the things that I was reading. And (laughs) I don't know how many times I started a yearly Bible plan. Never really finished very strong. but. Whenever I'm in Genesis and Exodus and some of those Old Testament stories uh, and we see verses where, depending on the translation, it, it says, and God changed his mind, I was mm-hmm. like, wait, I, I don't understand. <laughs> That's not how I always knew God. So, Yeah, I always think about this too. Like We live in, a, in an age where we're post-Jesus, and so we kind of have a pretty clear picture of... God's plan and his purpose and like what he's working towards. But I feel like as you mature and you, you, you know, you probably read a lot of the gospels, a lot of the new Testament, you eventually start your Bible reading plan and like actually try to stick with it and stay in the old Testament. Then you start to get confused on that a little bit. Cause you're starting to see how all that played out before Jesus came and, and all these things God were doing that hindsight 2020, you can see were pointing to Jesus. Yeah. But it can seem confusing in the moment. Um, so it's, it's just interesting to try to put yourself in their perspective and really have that feeling of, I'm not sure what's going to happen. And so when you start to talk about this idea of, can God change his mind? It's pretty easy for us to set on this side of things, I think, and say, well, no, definitely not. But I think if you were in that moment, you really do feel the stakes of like, what's this God going to do? Yeah, yeah. It's kind of intimidating. Well, God is intimidating in general, but it it just makes it all the more, you get anxiety over it almost. Yeah. It's crazy. It's a very cliffhanger. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, I don't know, researching through this, I feel like there were a lot of eye-opening things that I came across, um, ways that I hadn't necessarily perceived or, or thought about this before. And, and just in case you're new and listening, that's kind of what Bible and stuff is all about. We yeah. we talk about topics that we want to learn more about. Um, we learn it, regurgitate it. We're right most of the time about things that we say. Um, no promises. No promises. But yeah, we just want to take what we've learned and share it with you guys, have conversations about it, and grow together with you. Yeah, I was thinking about that this week, and not to pat ourselves on the back too hard, but Although us having to learn these things and then, you know, f- you know, formulate an episode and, and reteach it in a sense, or at least discuss where we've arrived at from our study has some downsides in the fact that like, hey, we're not experts and we could be wrong. I also feel like it has some upsides because there are certainly people who have tried to do this before. Certainly people who have said, hey, we're going to take big topics. We're going to take things that questions that you're asking and really bring them down to like an understandable level. And those people have been experts. 
But the problem, I think sometimes, and, and some of them do a great job, don't get me wrong, but I think sometimes those people kind of forget what it's like to not know. And yeah. so there is a bit of a disconnect when an expert comes to you and tries to explain something in layman's terms. Like you still have to pause at times and say, well, hold on. You assumed I knew something. I don't know. They're like 10 steps ahead. And so they're going back to step six when we're on step two. Yeah. And I think the benefit of us starting on step two, trying to go three, four, five, and then tell you how we got there is although we may be wrong, like we may be, you know, 0.5 degrees off track, um, at least we have a really clear picture of what it was like to be at step two and can walk you through the process of what it was like to go the next few steps. Yeah, because honestly, I think the other big part of what we're trying to do is we're trying to get people like ourselves excited about learning about the Bible and about stuff. Yeah, and so the risk that we take doing this is that we may be wrong, but we're totally open to being wrong. And what we see as more important than being right 100% of the time is equipping other people and encouraging other people to dig in study for themselves, think about things in a way maybe they haven't thought about them before, and ultimately come out on the other end, even if that's, you know, a, a trail with a lot of valleys and a lot of, like, mud bogs that they have to crawl through, yeah. um, having experienced something new and learned something new and being a little better for it, I hope. I feel like we are better for learning these things and sometimes struggling with these things. Yeah. So. With that being said, let's go ahead and dig in. So when we started doing uh, research and formulating ideas on this podcast, we thought, well, we're calling this Does God Change His Mind? Let's look through the Bible and find some verses that kind of show us where that question might come from. And then also some verses that show us like, that's not true. Or, you know, trying to find contrasting verses to this to help, hopefully help us formulate ideas on, on whether God does change his mind or not. Yeah, and ultimately the fact that we find contrasting verses is the reason <laughs> this question isn't just like, hey, nope, into episode. Right. So yeah, let's look at these and see what we can find. So to start, we have two verses that almost make us think the Bible is suggesting that God does change his mind. Okay. So the first is Genesis 6.6. 6. We encourage you guys to go through and actually read these full chapters to kind of get more context. We'll talk about it more in the episode, but Genesis 6.6 6 says, And the Lord regretted that he had made man on earth, and it grieved him to his heart. Oh. Ouch. <laughs> <laughs> That's definitely hard to hear from a human perspective. Yeah. And then, Tanner, what's the other one we had in here? Exodus 32.14 which says, and the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. Yeah, and now both of these verses we just read to you from uh, the English Standard Version translations, but if you look at different translations, some of them actually do say, and God changed his mind. Yeah. We're going to talk more about that, but we wanted to read those two verses to you to kind of get an initial idea of where we see that question arise. Yeah, there's definitely two that seem to make it clear that God can have one idea and then end up with a different one. But we also know there's some that make it seem like that's not possible. Yeah. So thanks for confusing us. Uh, <laughs> no, so one of those is Malachi 3.6. It says, For I, the Lord, do not change. 
Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. So right, right there it's saying, okay, God does not change. He's infinitely who he is. Another verse, James 1.17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Yeah. And then I got one more. Um, this is from Numbers 23.19. It says, God is not man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. He has said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? So those are three scriptures that support that God is never changing. They seem to be really clear. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, and, and there are other verses out there um, that support or kind of encourage both thoughts of mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, so definitely look through those. We just wanted to pick some of the more popular verses that, that kind of stick out. So, all right, we've read all that. I mean, that leads us to the big question, which is, what do we do with that? Yeah, yeah. So how do we process that? I mean. What, what can we, where can we go from here? Yeah, and I'll say the idea that we're talking about, I think the idea, uh, the, the theological term that you'll see this described as is God's immutability. So one of the characteristics we would say God has is that he's immutable. And what does that mean? But essentially means he doesn't change. Okay, okay. <laughs> but then that puts some burden on, of proof on us to explain those other verses, which we're going to get to, of how that that can be true when it seems like he has changed his mind. But let's explain immutability real quick. When we say that God is immutable, we mean that he is consistent. He's consistent in his being. So he is eternal. He always has been. He always will be. He wasn't created. And that's not going to change. The other thing we would say is immutable is God's character. So these attributes of God, that he's just, that he's merciful, that he's patient, that he's kind, that he's loving, all these things don't change. God is that way, and he always will be that way. He's a good God. And then lastly, the thing we would say is unchanging is God's plan, or I would say God's mission Mm -hmm. of what he is seeking to do to reconcile sinners to himself. That's been his plan from day one, and that's going to be his plan until he comes back. And so everything you just said are things that we're going to learn point to these verses that we just talked through. So when we look at the bigger picture in the chapter and everything, we hit a lot of those points that you just made. Yeah, absolutely. But I also want to take a second and say what God being immutable doesn't mean. So it doesn't mean necessarily that God doesn't change at all, ever, anything. It all depends on how you define these words, but think about it this way. Romans 5.10 says, hey, we were once enemies of God, and now we're reconciled to God. So just like that mission we talked about, if God didn't allow that change to happen, we would still be enemies of God, which we certainly don't want. We should certainly be grateful for that thing that you may could call change. The other thing you could say, is John 1.14, the Word became flesh. So Jesus, mm. who is also God, eternity before, eternity ongoing, did, not losing his divinity or taking away anything that he was, but added to it a human body, a human experience, real flesh and blood, and he's going to keep that from eternity present. So that's also a, a change, you could call it, that 
we're actually pretty grateful for, and pretty much our whole faith is based on the fact that God didn't stay up in heaven, right? but he came down as a man. So even kind of testing those two verses you just gave and the changes that we see taking place with God, that doesn't discredit the idea of immutability. Okay, so let's take that idea of immutability, and now we can start to apply it to some of these places that we see in the Bible that may make us think that God isn't immutable. So, for example, here's a great picture of this idea, which is Jonah, the story of Jonah. So we see pretty clearly God says, hey, I'm going to destroy Nineveh. Jonah, you go tell all these people that they better repent because I'm going to destroy them. Yeah. We actually talked about this not too long ago in our Once Saved, Always Saved podcast. And I think where we kind of went with this is that we were saying that verse is showing almost that God is is giving a warning mm. as opposed to a like like he's declaring this will happen. Yeah, because we go on to see in the story that the, they repent <laughs> to uh Jonah's chagrin and they don't get destroyed. So then we have to say, well, he said he was going to do it. Why didn't he do it? And that I think you're exactly right. I think he was saying a warning. Now, he was saying it in a way that if you just read it word for word, you might think, like, well, he said he was going to do that. But I equate that too. So I think we do this all the time. If we just back up a little bit, like if, if my child's doing something they're not supposed to do, and I look at them and say, hey, you're going to go to timeout, that's not me saying, right now, go get in timeout, end of story. Sure. That's saying, I'm warning you, you're going to have to go to time out or there's going to have to be consequences for this action if you don't change. But I, I didn't say all those words. I didn't say, if you don't stop right now, I'm going to go to time out. But if you do, then you're fine. You don't have to go to like, God's yeah. doing the same thing. He's saying, hey, you're in sin and there's going to be consequences for that. And they say, oh, okay, we don't want that. <laughs> you better stop, yeah. <laughs> and so they repent and then he doesn't enact those consequences. Yeah. So that's, that's one perspective or way that we can see some of these verses fleshing out. Yeah, and that's only one. Um, so let's actually, let's take a look at that first verse that we talked about, Genesis 6-6. For sure. So if we're using that as an example, something that I think is just easy to think about is, okay, if God really changed his mind, about creating man, we wouldn't be here right now. Yeah, and, and to recap, this verse is the one that says God was grieved that he created man. Yeah. So as a reader, we can kind of see, well, he made man, and now he wishes he didn't. And like you said, if he actually didn't want us to be here, we wouldn't be here. But then we still get hung up on, well, like you said, like it's almost hard to read. like. Why? And, I, and honestly, I think that's the point of the passage. The point of the passage is for us to experience the emotion, experience the sorrow that God has over our sin, that God has over what happened that he wish had not happened. Yeah. And I think we also need to point out that in a lot of cases, this one specifically too, is God intended for man to be something 
other than it became. Yeah. So uh, God intended for Adam to live his life a certain way, and Adam changed that. So I think we see these these verses come up where God is talking about being grieved and all of that, not because he did anything mm. to change. It's because we did something. So it's almost a, yeah. a response to that. Yeah, and that's a, a real deep topic that we could honestly spend a lot of time in because if you start to ask questions of those answers we just gave, you say, well, is God not in control? And uh, he certainly is, but we also know that God uses these things that he did not decree, such as sin, and he works them into his plan and he uses them for good. So that's the short answer (laughs) to that problem. Um, But we could certainly spend a heck of a lot more time talking about that dichotomy of things happening that God does not wish, but he's still in control of. Yeah. Well, I I do like what you were saying about how this verse, being able to understand it, interpret it, and be in that sense of grieving that, that God has, it's, it's convicting. Yeah. It, helps me, it helps me understand. We always bring it back to our kids, I think. Mm-hmm. It's just the easiest interpreter. It's the easiest way for me to understand this. And I do think about it like I have nothing but the best intentions and hopes for my children mm-hmm. but they're gonna screw up yeah and it's gonna hurt it's <laughs> yeah. gonna hurt to watch them fail and and all these things yeah yeah i think it's weird for us to imagine the emotions of god mm. i think it's really odd for us sometimes because our emotions can be so faulty our emotions can be so out of hand it's weird for us to imagine what God's emotions might be like. But the Bible clearly shows in places that he has them. Like God has anger. God has sorrow. God has, you know, all these real things that at least the only way we can understand them is through the lens of emotion. And so at some level, this may just be anthropomorphizing God, which is giving him human characteristics, even though he's not human so that we can understand him. Like there's places where the Bible says like God's like arm or whatever, like he doesn't have an arm. He doesn't have a body. He's a spirit, but we understand arms. And so the Bible's using, you know, human language to help us understand. So in some level, it may be that, but on another level, we're made in the image of God. And therefore it seems reasonable to think about God having valid, perfect emotions the same way we have emotions, even though they're broken and tainted. Well, even as you're saying that, I mean, Jesus is that example for us. Yeah. We read verses where Jesus wept. Mm -hmm. We read verses where Jesus flipped tables because he was angry. Yeah. Like, he has compassion. He does all these different things. He's in human form, and he has emotions that we have, and that makes it, that does make it more relatable. But yeah, it is, uh, it is harder almost. I don't know. Sometimes thinking about God and thinking about Jesus, I have these like, it takes me a while to, to reconcile like their characteristics and yeah. how, how I think they should behave and act yeah. versus what truth is. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always, I've found that, I found that weird. Yeah. And then I think most of us have a, like a warped sense of like, 
how God and Jesus relate to one another. Like God's this mean Old Testament dude. Jesus is a nice, like, tree-hugging hippie who just wants everybody to love, (laughs) and neither of those are true. They're much, much fuller beings than just that. Um, But to kind of put a bow on this and get get back to the topic at hand, I think what we're saying is the whole point of this Genesis 6-6 passage where where it says that God was grieved that he made man isn't to say he changed his mind on the plan. It's to say he, he wasn't happy with how this had to happen. Yeah. Or rather, he was grieved by his people's sin. Yeah. No, I, I, that wraps it up really, really well. So we're going to go ahead and take a break. And when we come back, we're going to try to unwrap Exodus uh, 32, 14 that we brought up earlier. Yeah. Uh, this is, it's going to take some time. This is a little bit different of a verse. But there's a lot that we can pull from it. Oh, it's so good. Um, so, th- yeah, this was the most exciting part for me, kind of working through all of this. Um, so when we get back, we're going to talk about Exodus 32, 14. All right, hang on. Don't skip this ad break because we have big news. Oh, my gosh. What's our, what's our big news, Tanner? <laughs> so we are partnering with a company called Redbud City Coffee Roasters. Yeah, we are. They make, as you probably guessed, coffee. And you, because you listen to us, get a discount on coffee. So let's talk a little bit about how this works and what, what Redbud is all about. Sure. So Redbud City Coffee Roasters is a family-owned company I talked to Connor, the owner there. He's a super cool guy. Uh, He runs it with his brothers and his dad. They make really great coffee that they import from all over the world. They take really great care to make sure that you're getting the best coffee they can possibly give you. And ultimately, we think they're doing a pretty good job. Yeah. So now on top of all of that, this was incredible for me to learn, is they have also partnered with the Aruna Project which if you don't know what that is, research it for more information. But essentially, they are trying to put an end to human trafficking. They have proceeds from every bag of coffee that's sold that go to Aruna to help kind of bring all of this to an end. And Aruna itself also helps employ people who have come out of sex trafficking. And just the whole project is amazing. And we love that Redbud is partnering alongside them to accomplish all of this. It really is great. And, and that's one of the reasons that, that we're excited to partner with these guys because we can see their heart in how they do things. Connor even told me like, hey, uh, we would love for you to mention in the Aruna Project and by all means talk about them more than you talk about us. So make sure to check them out and see what they're doing. Support that cause. But also pick yourself up some coffee, man. So the way it works is you go to redbudcoffee.com. You use our code that gets you 10% off. That's discount code Bible and stuff. You get great coffee, and we get a percentage of that sale to help us keep things going here. So you heard it from Tanner. Go to redbudcoffee.com. Use the discount code Bible and stuff to get 10% off the purchase and help support the show and the Aruna Project. Thanks, guys. All right, let's break down Exodus 32:14. We talked about this at the beginning of the show. I'm just going to go ahead and, and read it one more time so that we remember what the verse said. Uh, it said, "And the Lord relented from the disaster that He had spoken of bringing on His people." 
Now, we mentioned this, but I want to reiterate this. When we are reading that verse, that is coming from the ESV. But what I found is really interesting is if we read that from other versions, it's translated a little different. So NIV says Yahweh relented. ESV uses the word relented. NASB uh, has has changed his mind. RSV, the Lord has changed his mind. And KJV and Yahweh repented. So there's there's several different translations in there. Yeah. After doing some research and trying to figure out like what translation might fit best, it, it sounded like using the phrase relent um, kind of fits and makes the most sense um, based off the original text. So I'm like, all right, well, what's the difference between relent, repent? Like, h- how can we define this? So relent is to abandon or mitigate a harsh intention or cruel treatment. Okay. So now knowing that, let's kind of, let's backtrack. We do want to encourage you to read this chapter on its own, but we're just kind of going to give you a recap of of what happens here. Yeah, let's give the story. So this verse that we've read a couple times now, it takes place when Moses is on the mountain with God. So people are out in the wilderness. Moses goes up to the mountain to talk with God. And that means all the rest of the Israelites are down at the foot of the mountain with Aaron. And at this point is the point where you've probably heard this story before. They all put their gold together. They form this golden calf, and they start to worship it. Which was strictly forbidden, (laughs) just in case you didn't know that either. (laughs) Yeah. And so as you can imagine, God's not super thrilled with what the people have chosen to do. And so he tells Moses, hey, leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them then I will make you into a great nation. Now, on top of all of that, God says all of these things, makes this statement right here that seems pretty aggressive. Yeah. And Moses is like, whoa, whoa, whoa. (laughs) (laughs) Basically, in a sense, calls God out and says, hey, you made a promise that the descendants of Abraham's would be more numerous than the stars. If you destroy everybody, you're not keeping to that promise. And so he is, he is pleading with God not to do this thing. Yeah, and he even like draws upon like, hey, the Egyptians are going to say you just brought us out here to kill us. So uh, Moses really is just like making the best case he can possibly make. Now, I would maybe argue that if God had chosen to do what he was saying to do, he would be right in that. Yeah. But Moses is clearly asking, for mercy and grace on him and the people, even though they've disobeyed. And this, I think, I think the reason we're unpacking this verse so much is because for me, this was the most confusing thing to, to work through. Like, okay, in the other verses, it wasn't like anybody was pleading with God or, or trying to change his mind. Here, Moses is directly challenging God. Yeah, it's a, it's a back and forth conversation of Moses talking to him. And ultimately what happens? He relents. Yeah, he <laughs> relents. And so I it it's taken me a lot to get to this point of like, okay, our question is does God change his mind? Does he? When I'm reading this, uh, when I first read this, I was like, I guess he does. <laughs> <laughs> like Moses was able to convince God to change his mind, yeah. which then makes me think like well, shoot, if that's the case, then God is weak because God created man and now man can change God. It's, 
it yeah. was just sending my mind into turmoil. Yeah. But that is not what is actually happening here. I'm glad there's a but. Yeah, let's let's kind of dig a little bit more deeper into this and just talk about the fact that God could have just gone ahead and wiped out all these people without confronting Moses about it. Yeah. Um, it wouldn't be the first time he's wiped out people. Like if we look right. at the story of Noah and, and things like that, like we see that he's done that and he's completely just to do it. Yeah, and you were making that point. It, it, is, it is just, and it's hard for us to hear that. For sure. Because from a human perspective, we're like, oh yeah, killing tons of people, that's just? I don't think so. Yeah. But when we're looking at it from the perspective of God, the Almighty, the Creator, mm-hmm. we can kind of come to an understanding of how that could be fair yeah. based on the way that He created us. So that brings us to the question, why did he talk to Moses about it? Yeah, and we know that God certainly doesn't have to let Moses be a part of this process. God could just make the decision, like we've said, but he is allowing Moses to speak up. He's allowing Moses to state his case and to tell him his concerns and his fears and his worries, and not dissimilar from what we do every day when we pray. And so... This idea before Moses and after Moses all the way to us of God partnering with people, uh, not on equal ground per se, but wanting to hear from us and not being not tiring of us petitioning and questioning and asking, it's not new. It's been around for a long time. It continues to be around every single day when we ask God for things to change that we wish would. Yeah, and I I always try to spin these to be more relatable to situations that we see in our lives. So the way I'm kind of thinking through this is, all right, I I have a boss that I work for, and maybe I'm going through training or something like that. And the company obviously has a clear mission, clear values, clear ways of how they do things. But my boss will allow me to have input on those things that uh, so long as they line up with what they're doing, obviously if I'm making some ridiculous scenario or if I'm making some ridiculous kind of request, they're, they're going to turn it down. Well, and that's a main part of the story that ties back to that idea of God being immutable. Moses is not petitioning God to do something against his character. So the two ideas we're talking about here is justice and mercy, both of which are aspects of God. He can be just, and he's totally good to do that. But he can also be merciful, and he's totally good to do that. So God said, hey, this time I'm going with justice. And Moses says, please have mercy on us, because we we are sinners, and we have screwed this up, and we, we need mercy to keep going. Yeah. Looking back through all of this, I think the point you made about being immutable really helps us define and get reins on this idea of does God change his mind? So as we wrap up this verse, I also was kind of thinking through the idea that when we read verses in the Bible, sometimes we get different themes from it when we read it. So just to give an example, I think of the story of the prodigal son. Uh, the first time you read the story, you may relate to the son that ran away and grasp that theme and idea. And then next time you read through it, you may come to the realization like, oh man, 
what about the son that stayed? Yeah. Like, what's his story? What's what's going on there? That's that's my friend Joe, or that was me in this this situation. There's always different perspectives or takeaways. Yeah. You're always gonna get something from it. Yeah. So I started trying to think through like, all right, what what are some of the different takeaways we can get from this? And I think the first we we just talked about is God knows what is just and fair. We don't. Yeah. Or not to the extent that he does. Yeah. And again, we talked about God allows us to partner with him in a number of ways, a big one of which right now in our daily lives is prayer. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. We touched upon this earlier too, but God does have emotions and this is not a flaw or imperfection. It doesn't make him weak. We also see in the story that God keeps his promise that he made to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all the way down to Moses, that he is going to be with and preserve his people. Yeah. And so that leads us to what I would say is kind of the big bow we're tying on this episode, which is God's dependable. I think that's one of the things that's behind that question of, does God change his mind? It's, can I trust him? Can I put my faith in him? Is he going to turn the tables on me? And I think the Bible says no. I think the Bible says, no, God's character stays the same. God's being stays the same. God's mission stays the same. He is going to be there no matter what, and he is going to be the same God he always has been and always will be. That was good stuff. And I would add, just as a a side note, this is probably maybe more of a tannerism than a biblical truth, but it seems like in these instances where we think maybe God is changing his mind, he's actually going from justice to grace. He's actually taking a harder position that he could hold and softening it and showing us mercy and love. Well, guys, we hope that you enjoyed talking through this with us today. We absolutely loved taking time to learn about this. And as we continue to do this, we want to know more about what you guys want to know. Yeah, as always, you can reach out to us on social media. You can send us an email to hello at Bible and stuff. However you want to do it, let us know what you'd like to hear on an episode next. We even touched on a few things in this podcast that really could be fleshed out as an episode or more. So if you want to hear about any of those things, by all means, let us know. Follow us on social media to stay up to date with what we're doing. And we appreciate you. And we're glad that you're listening. Until next time, I'm Glenn. And I'm Tanner. And this is Bible. (laughs) The Bible and Stuff podcast is a production of Bible and Stuff. We do more than just podcasts, so if you want to know more about something we've covered on the show, just visit our website at bibleandstuff.com. Our show is hosted by Tanner Britt and Glenn Brand, and our theme music is by The Sing Team. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.